Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the co-host of this show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. And uh, we are coming to you today from Texas A&M University at Galveston, my alma mater. I graduated from here in 1983, and let me tell you, the buildings are a lot better. Uh, we have an incredible guest with us today, Dr. Kelly Burks-Copes from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Galveston office. She is the project manager for the Coastal Protection and Restoration Projects, one of the biggest initiatives I think the district has ever taken on. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Well, you know, I think as a as just by way of introduction, we are here at an event at A&M at Galveston, sponsored by the Corps. Tell us why we're here and what have you guys been up to here at A&M at Galveston? So twice a year, the district hosts what they call the Stakeholders Partnering Forum. Okay. What we do is we invite all of the stakeholders involved, either in an ongoing study or a potential study, to come to us and we tell them what we are doing for them. And we allow them to engage with us one-on-one and ask questions, learn how to work with us, find out how to, um, you know, get their project going, moving dirt. And so we give them an opportunity to basically rub elbows with everybody in the core and try and figure out how to get things done in their region. Well, this is obviously a very interesting time here. Uh, We're... You know, to put this meeting into context, we're, as uh, one guy said, we're coming on a couple years after Hurricane Harvey. Uh, Of course, we're sitting here in Galveston right next to one of the busiest shipping uh, uh, ports of entry in the United States of America, probably in the world, it's fair to say. And, uh, of course, we're in the what do they call it? The energy coast. Uh, This is a an incredibly productive uh, energy region for the nation and the world. Uh, so this this we're dealing with some really uh, important subject matter. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you and your team prepared for this specific meeting. Obviously, the stakes are incredibly high. So we've been working together as a team since 2016. Congress authorized us to take a look at the feasibility of restoring resilience to the coast. And it is the country's energy coast. We are looking at protecting and reducing risks to Houston, Texas and the surrounding region. Um, That is the third largest city in the country. If we were to have a hurricane hit this region, um, we produce 7 million barrels of oil a day. About two of that goes to the rest of the country, and the remaining 5 million goes to the East Coast. So if a storm were to hit, it will be felt nationwide. And so we were asked to look at protection. How can we actually reduce the risks to having that supply of energy cut off for the rest of the country. And you can do that in a variety of ways. You don't have to do that with just um, gray infrastructure, big walls. You can do that with combinations of what we call multiple lines of defense, where you actually take into account the natural setting, you enhance that, and then you work on structuring multiple features in place to kind of take the edge off storms that come across the landscape. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, uh, Kelly, that's a, that, and I think what I appreciate that, the general description I think you just gave uh, is the Corps' Coastal Protection and Restoration Project for the, do we say the upper Texas coast? It obviously goes, 
It's Galveston it's, Bay, but it's not just Houston and Galveston Bay. Right. It's the entire Texas coast. Wow. We were funded to look at everything from the Louisiana border all the way down to Brownsville. Oh, my gosh. So uh, as the project manager, I, I got to say, having we were on day two of this event. Yeah. And, and uh, anybody who's been to a core meeting knows there's a lot of dense information that's oh, yeah. presented. It's an amazing <laughs> amount of uh, of a lot data, of spreadsheets, a lot of spreadsheets, <laughs> a lot of graphs, numbers, yeah. a lot of maps. It's yeah. really intense. It's an it's a it's a magnificently sized project. What a challenge to manage this particular beast it would be. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I I tend to joke about it. I'm the cat herder. I'm the the cheerleader, and if we get too deep into the technicalities, I have to bring in the experts. I have Mm -hmm. over 120 people on the team. It's Mm -hmm. the largest team in the country. It's the largest Corps of Engineers project in the country. Is that right? It's been likened to putting the dams on the Mississippi River. Wow. Um, So we're talking about infrastructure when constructed that you will be able to see from the space station. Well, Kelly, uh, we interviewed a uh, longtime outdoor writer here in Houston, uh, the Houston Chronicle, uh, and he described Shannon Tompkins. Shannon Tompkins. Uh, in fact, I think he he might be the last full-time outdoor writer in the state of Texas. Really cool guy, uh, and you know he described this work as biblical. I mean the <laughs> the the scale, the size, the the numbers that we're talking about are astronomical they are <laughs> <laughs> they are they're huge but so i, I want to so first of all the, the scope it's it's monumental and one of the cool things that we learned today is some of the the process how you actually crack that nut i mean right. it's a big process and you've you've brought in uh, first of all uh, incredibly organized laid out all of the different options that you had before you you've scored things um, you've brought in teams from of, of experts from around the world. I mean, this has been a deep, deep, deep effort. Uh, where did you begin? And just kind of walk walk us through kind of the, the broad brushstrokes of the process. Right. We began with Ike. So we had a category. Which was in 2008. Was in 2008, right? yes. Yeah. So... Once that storm came through and literally wiped entire communities off the face of the islands, we were requested to start looking at what could be done if another Ike were on the event horizon. We're not the only ones that have been studying this. Texas A&M has been studying this. Their plan is called the Ike Dike. Um, the uh, Gulf, Inter- um, you'll have to look up the acronym yeah, for me, the GCCPRD. Uh, yeah, PRD. <laughs> and the Speed Center at Rice. And the Speed Center all have plans. One of them, the Speed Center's plan is called the Bay Park Plan. Yes. And the GCCPRD's plan is called the Coastal Spine. Yep. And the idea from Congress, what we were directed to do, is not reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. They've been putting a lot of money and effort into this. So start with what they have take a look at their configurations, compare and contrast those, and leap off of that forward Mm -hmm. instead of going backward. And so we put together a team that basically consumed all of that information and moved out on that line. Um, We looked at not only a system of um, barriers along the coastline here in Galveston, but also 
other options? Could we maybe put in a line that tied into an existing structure over by Texas City called the Texas City, City Levy Bay. System? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or another option um, that was basically suggested by the Speed Center was something called Mid Bay, where you would basically put this enormous uh, gate system straight through Galveston Bay, tying the two pieces of land together. It's um, It would be almost... Um, it would be categorically uh, dangerous very to wide, do. <laughs> very wide part of the bay. I don't know yeah. yes. how long that is. And, and if you were to draw a line across the oyster reefs in this bay, you would have that line alignment underneath. So it wow. would be ecologically catastrophic. That's something that we had to evaluate. The other options that we looked at were up along the west end of the bay or the west side of the bay. Um, the idea would be maybe to go along I or 146, which is one of the local um, routes that goes uh-huh. north south, and put the barrier there. And the problem with that is that t- um, Houston is growing; it's growing very fast. And so, the TxDOT, the Department of Transportation, has already started buying up land, and they are already expanding that road. And so that prohibited us from moving with that type of plan. We did look again towards a kind of an alignment called a ring barrier around Galveston Bay. Um, The idea across all of this is to find a solution that reduces the most risks at an economic benefit that has the least environmental impacts. And and maybe some environmental uh, positives as well. There's a great deal of, I got to say a couple things. One is... I understand that the study process you are in right now is going to extend into 2021. We've got another 18 months to go. There's a lot of planning, designing, thinking, engagement totally. that's going to occur. Uh, the plans aren't rock solid. No. There's a few misperceptions out there in the yes. world that you've already decided <laughs> to build a gigantic wall that's 20 feet tall all along the beach in Bolivar Peninsula on the west end of Galveston. Not true. Uh, what other misconceptions and and, and, and it's difficult I gotta say I, I empathize with the challenge you face, which is how do you talk about something this significant as it's being thought through and developed and engaged the public when it's still a moving target? I think it's the right thing to do. You have to let people totally. into the process before you've decided, but it there's a risk here of a lot of misperception. Correct. And so how do you how do so you handle that? So let me talk about yeah. scale first. Let's talk about um, scale. A typical Corps of Engineers study is called a three-by-three three study. Mm-hmm. It takes three years to do. Um, it has a cost of no more than $3 million, And it has three levels of review. And there's kind of another three, which is it can't be more than three inches thick um, in the report. So for the audience out there, you're going to hear a lot of background noise because we're at the meeting and we're in the uh, lobby outside yes. the meeting room. And the meeting just got out a little bit. So ignore the background noise, but please go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the 333 three, so three three, process. 333 three is mm-hmm. a typical Corps of Engineers study. Mm-hmm. This is a 5.5 by 20 by 6 study okay it's five and a half years long it is 20 million dollars just to do the study and we have six levels of review Um, they're called tiers and every step of the way we have to get feedback from those six levels of review groups so that we don't go down the wrong path Um, the other thing is 
we normally only look at one very specific, very geographically constrained location for a Corps of Engineers study. Uh, so, for example, there's a study called Jefferson County Restoration. It's just in Jefferson County. It is only on the coast, and it is less than, um, you know, five, six miles long. This is the entire Texas coast that yeah. we're looking at. Incredible. Not only that, but we were authorized for resilience. We were t- told to look at resilience. So we have two mandates, coastal storm risk reduction and ecosystem restoration. Yeah. And so this is the largest ecosystem restoration study in the core, as well as the largest coastal storm risk study in the core. It's bigger than the post-Sandy study. And it is bigger than any of the other ongoing studies out there that have anything to do with ecosystem restoration. So we've combined both of those kinds of scales in one study and tried to get it done. (laughs) I think that that's uh, super interesting. And uh, Peter, I'm reminded of our conversation uh, with the port director of the Port of San Francisco. And uh, she was staring down uh, a similar... Uh, barrel where she's got obviously it's a much smaller area but she runs a port but it is the entire waterfront basically of San Francisco that we're all familiar with seven you know? and a half miles of right. an urban downtown and shoreline. she's like okay I've got to raise my seawall that is falling apart this is all built on fill it's mm-hmm. it's which is not an engineered fill this was just done back in the old days I've got uh, a view to consider this is San Francisco it's a very environmentally cultured place and uh, she described to us some, you know, she's looking out at a hundred year planning horizon here and trying to put things together. And I do see some similarities here. Uh, and it's so interesting that we're focusing on, of course, you said it started with Ike, this like iconic, uh, devastating, devastating event. Yes. I mean, uh, definitely a, a high water mark, we can right. say. Literally. Yeah. Literally a high water <laughs> 26 mark. foot storm surge, I think it was, or was yeah. it 23? It was a lot. Yeah, so, and, and in the presentation on the panel, uh, there was discussion of this long-term thinking. This is not a quick fix. You guys are tasked with looking at, what, 100 years? So a typical core study is required to look at 50 years out, right. but the level of um, critical infrastructure, the size of the critical infrastructure that we are proposing will basically be in place for more than 100 years. So, And we are trying to build it adaptively yeah. so that um, in the face of things like sea level rise, um, urban growth, changes in uh, subsidence, um, we need to be able to put something on the ground that lasts, that yeah. can actually resist and be adaptive at least to the point where we can come back and add to it if necessary. So we're talking about, and we, what we've proposed and what we call our tentatively selected plan is 76 miles of barrier that starts um, up at the top in Jefferson County and goes all the way down Bolivar Peninsula. Uh-huh. It crosses a two-mile inlet into Galveston Bay with the largest gates in the world. Yeah. Um, it is the largest and the most number of gates to close off that barrier, that, uh, that opening. Mm-hmm. It ties to the existing seawall, which was actually a coastal storm risk management measure that was put on this island after the 1900 storm Correct. that caused thousands of deaths on 6, this 000, island. 6,000, I think. The deadliest yes. incident in American history. In American history. And that seawall is not enough. We've yeah. actually done the analysis to show that 
with climate change, with sea level rise, with the kinds of storms that we're starting to see come at us, that it will allow overtopping. Water will move into Galveston. So we need to look at that. We're also talking about going beyond the seawall all the way down to the end of Galveston Island with this feature and ringing the city of Galveston with the barrier itself because in Ike, the storm came over the barrier islands, hit and landed in Galveston Bay, and the flooding they received from Ike came from the back, which yeah. actually the storm was spinning inside Galveston's Bay, and the water rose up behind them and caught them off guard. Yeah. People who lived behind the seawall were fine, but people down in the back side of the island were not. Yeah. Right. So that's the kind of thing that we're proposing. Such a, such a complex problem, uh, calling on the, the highest level of engineering, engagement, planning, uh, this is a multi-billion-dollar program, uh, estimates up to thirty-two billion dollars. Fifteen years, couple of years to design it, couple of years to get it into Congress. Lots of stakeholder engagement, lots of partnerships to be built. Uh, it may take ten years to put this thing in place. It's a massive project, and I have to tell you, having been in and around the Corps for uh, a couple of decades, this sounds different to me. And I, and and I would say, Colonel. Uh, the, the Colonel Zetterstrom, who is retiring here, I guess, in June or July, uh, really sets a tone that is quite different than other core processes that I've been in and around. There's more ecosystem focus in what you're doing. I'm hearing the core planners, the core engineers, and the core staff talk about the environmental values that they have to in- incorporate. Right. I'm seeing environmental projects thousands of acres of marsh and wetland restoration and oyster reefs that you've gone over to see that in this very early stage not as a result of a bunch of clamoring folks from the community going gee whiz you know fish matter and oysters matter but the corps of engineers incorporating that is pretty interesting to me i have to say i'm very fairly new i'm fairly very very (laughs) pleased to see that I can tell you where that came from. Yeah, talk to um, us. I used to work, before I worked at this district, I worked for the Engineering Research and Development Center for the Corps. The That's the laboratories mm-hmm. for the Corps. Yeah. And one of the things that happens when you work for the labs is you work for all the districts. So you go out and do work everywhere. And the, the thing that started this was um, Katrina. Post-Katrina, they had to start working on reducing risks, and how might they do that? And a lot of the proposals were oyster reefs and marshes out front, and the idea was natural-based solutions. And so it started there with multiple lines of defense, and then Sandy hit. And now, up in that region, in the North Atlantic, they're starting to realize, too, that there's not a lot of space, and what can they do in terms of multiple lines all the way out into the water so that they can start providing um, preventative measures and and risk reduction. And so we just decided we would go there. We would start there from the beginning. And the proposal, you know, not only is it, and and I do want to correct you, $32 billion is the the, the high end right. of the okay. cost, 23 to 32, but 40% of that cost is not barrier. It's ecosystem restoration. Yeah. 160,000 mm-hmm. acres, not just tens of thousands, but yeah. 160, almost 200,000 acres I think if you make that happen, if the Galveston District were to pull that off yes. and uh, do what you're trying to do here, which is reduce the risk to one of the biggest urban areas in the country, with an incredibly important uh, industry in the oil and gas, in addition to the people who live there. I mean, we can't leave that out. (laughs) Um, And put together a massive uh, 
environmental restoration program, I think you will be cheered. This I is, get to it, retire. This would. Yeah, <laughs> we should mention that Dr. Kelly Burks Copes has been with the Corps of Engineers 28 years. 28 years. And so I'm close. And and uh, <laughs> leading the biggest project that Galveston District has ever done. And uh, what a what a cool thing. Uh, so when you're looking down the line here mm-hmm. um, in the process, we're sort of, I, I would say, I would put stuff in football terms. Are we in the first quarter of the process? Yes. Yeah, we're in the first quarter okay. of the game. So for folks out there concerned yeah. about, gee whiz, am I going to have a chance to talk? Have they already nailed all this down? Is it all done? Is yeah. this just a sales pitch? The answer to that is no. The level of engineering analysis that is going to be the horsepower here has not even been fully applied and there's a ton to do still correct and a lot to learn so tell us about where the process goes over the next you know 18 months or so or however far in the future you want to yeah so it's a five and a half year study just to study it um we're three years in uh we've got about a year of design left and then we go into review and we take it out for a run and ask people what they think okay we submit it to congress in 2021 and um you know cross your fingers congress authorizes us to go ahead and move out we have to have a cost share sponsor when we do these mm-hmm. types of studies the corps of engineers is federal but we don't pay the 100 percent of right. the cost so right now for this study it's a 50 percent cost share with texas general land office mm-hmm. which i have to give them thumbs up because Absolutely. they've been really proactive they're on good this and, study. and we'll be interviewing uh, commissioner bush on tuesday oh very good at his office so we're looking forward to sitting down oh, with very good. Texas Land Commissioner, your partner. He is our partner. Yeah. And so we're early in the study. Um, I keep telling the public even, there's so much time for them to engage us. And we are very interested in not only their concerns, but their ideas. What kinds of things that we might contemplate putting into the plan. The, the second step is what we call design. If Congress authorizes us to move forward, we go into design and we are required to uh, let a contract and start you know, putting things on the ground immediately. So we have um, a, a step that we must take in this next probably half a year to a year is sequencing. What should be built first? What can be built first? What is affordable first, second, third? And what is the contribution of that component of the plan to the overall protection of this region? And when I say protection, one of the myths out there is that this is just for the oil and gas industry. Honestly, the oil and gas footprint is fairly small and they are required to already have preventative measures in place for storms it's not their locations that are necessarily at risk it's their workers homes and their workers hospital and their Mm. workers schools there if a storm were to hit and their children can't get to school they will stay home and then there will not be a worker at the plant right so we have to think a lot more regional about protection and risk reduction Um, if the roads are impassable they will not go to work yeah. And so we have to think a, a lot broader than um, just protecting industrial plants. That's not what this is about right. at this point. Um, design is maybe two to five years. Um, construction is another 10 to 15 years. And that's all assuming Congress gives us almost a blank check yeah. to keep going, to, yeah. run, to run it out. Um, it took... The, the dams on the Mississippi took over 50 years to construct, and we're on that kind of a scale. Well, and the Galveston seawall that uh, we currently have took 50 or 60 years. A to long co- time, yes. And I mean, built in built in segments, the city expanded, we understand, but 
um, these projects of these scale uh, of this scale uh, take a long time and uh, uh, definitely appreciate you know one of the things that Peter and I talk about all the time is how important the level of detail in the planning is you know right. we talk to people Peter's a stickler for hey <laughs> show me how this is done yes. Tell, take me into the de- okay so you do this what does that mean and really driving in and I think that uh, clearly you uh, there has been no uh, lack of effort in wrapping y'all's mind around the the complexity of what's going on here. And I, I would also uh, second what Peter said about the um, the inclusion of ecosystem restoration and, and soft, you know, not like, what did you say? Green. Green, green, green infrastructure, infrastructure yes. would be the way to describe it, I guess. We have three sponsors on the American Shoreline Podcast Network that keep us alive and going. Dune Doctors out of Pensacola, Florida, a firm dedicated to the restoration of dune systems with native and natural uh, plants, led by Frederic Barisset. Very good company. Find them at dunedoctors.com. And Coastal Engineering Consultants, headed up by our good friend Michael Poff. They are out of Naples, Florida, and you can learn all about them at CoastalEngineering.com. And LJA Engineering with 28 offices in Texas and around the Gulf of Mexico. Outstanding coastal engineering firm led by Bill Worsham in that section. Uh, Find them at LJA.com. Now, I do have to ask, because when we're talking about a project that's going to last decades out, and I'm a millennial, right? So (laughs) my planning horizon is quite long, uh, I will say, uh, is... Uh, I did notice that sea level rise was a component in the design criteria when we were talking with the uh, Elaine Forbes in San Francisco, port director. She was talking about sea level rise. Uh, that's a bit of a touchy subject, but can you tell me a little bit about how that factors into the planning process? Sure. Is it Does the Corps recognize that as like a formal thing? Is that yes. something that I can say that you guys are on? Like We have an engineering regulation that mandates that we have to consider sea level rise. Okay. We don't have to ask why is it happening. We just have to take into account what if it were to happen. Okay. Is the design adaptive? Uh, what much? How much more will you have to pay to make it adaptive? And and then the question becomes: Is it worth it? Um, the idea of retreat is always in the back of our minds. Should we really be building here? Um, is a question. But we are mandated to look at at least three scenarios: um, a high uh, emissions where the greenhouse gases cause the ice melts to happen so much faster that it happens very rapidly and we see it happening. Our um, projections are that after approximately three and a half feet of sea level rise in this region, we see catastrophic habitat switching, which sounds very scary. Mm -hmm. What it means is that what you see out there becomes more and more open water. And the the barrier islands disappear at that point. There are no more. It basically makes Galveston Mm -hmm. Bay part of the Gulf. And Mm -hmm. so um, we asked the question, if it were to happen sooner than later, how how much sooner? Our projections using the National Oceanographic um, and Atmospheric Administration's Mm -hmm. database is that by 2075, 
uh, on a high, really high greenhouse gas emission curve, we would see that kind of switching. Alternatively, if it's happening at the rate that we're seeing right now, that might not happen till 2300. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're we're proposing to put in infrastructure that will be around. Then. Right, and needs to be adaptive to the conditions as they unfold and are known. That's right. Um, it, I was encouraged by that. The way that you approach sea level rise, the openness of that, I think it gives me uh, confidence and I think the public too, that the court is aware of this problem. And and like you say, it's separated from the cause issue. That is a different discussion by a different agency. Totally. That's right. And it's worldwide. What we're talking about is how to contend. And it sounds far-fetched to think, gee whiz, Galveston Island could be part of the Gulf. It could be underwater. But we just need to go a couple hundred miles to the east of here and look at the Mississippi River Delta and the land losses there to know that this is a real possibility and how to contend with that and is is really the charge you've been given which is a stunning job (laughs) go ahead and figure out how we're all going to keep have the city of houston and all these people and everybody fine incredible and make it cost effective and make sure it's publicly supported and that you can build it i mean that is quite the project uh kelly to end your career on well and i have to say that that's where the ecosystem restoration comes into play Mm -hmm. um if we were to build marshes in you know in and around these islands it actually perpetuates their life it actually helps us resist um, the the threat and to be able to withstand raisings right. um, the idea with sea level rise is that it happens so fast that we don't adapt fast enough mm-hmm. this kind of plan where we have a barrier system it could be a wall but we're actually looking at beaches and dunes instead now i like that i'm a fan of that yeah and then putting marshes behind that mm-hmm. actually with re-nourishment every you know 10 years or even more frequently right. with all the studies other studies going on out here right. we've got lots of material to play with we should be able to um, build up the islands as the seas rise so right. that we can keep up with them. and this what i loved about and this comes across in the tone if you can and i I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but sitting through an an all-day meeting with the Corps of Engineers is a test. (laughs) (laughs) The slide density is incredible. I I took notes. I I, I try to keep up. It's amazing how much information you guys uh, bring forward. But what's clear is that the environmental restoration strategy you're contemplating here isn't sort of bells and whistles add-ons to a construction project. This is part of the strategy. In fact, it's fundamental to the strategy. It is fundamental. We, We can't build... Uh, structures everywhere and in some places they make sense in other places it's going to have to be oyster reefs marsh restoration beaches beaches and dune systems and i know i'm very interested in the beach and dune part of it uh the quantities of material where will it come from the width of the beach the uh the volume and and configuration doing all of this is the course is the work you're going to be doing that's That's, right that's the planning that's the planning that's part of the planning process we have to identify um costs and to be able to justify to the taxpayers why they need to be paying the taxes for this we have to explain to them that there are materials that we can use and this is where we will get them from and we will need to build you know a beach and dune system of this width and this height and this length in order to resist storm surges that are going to come across We've been modeling storms that have never been seen before. Uh, we've used the Engineering Research and Development Center's mm-hmm. Coastal Hydraulics Lab to basically do random uh, different parameterizations. That's a big word, but it means basically 
the direction of a storm, the strength of the storm, right. the kind of surge the storm brings with us, and put sea level rise underneath that and actually ask the question, what is it going to take to be able to stay in place, to actually yeah. resist what's coming? And then find that material and cost it out. And, and if you can't find it, you can't build it. So we have to find yeah. that kind of material or we have to propose something else. Yeah, it's essential that you have the stuff to build That's what right. you need. So. There uh, is this weird thing, and I'll tell you because it's kind of fun. Um, we are proposing du dunes and beaches as part of the, the barrier system. Along the front of Bolivar now is something that we're con considering, and along the front of Galveston. We have sea turtles in this area, and they nest on those beaches. And the interesting part of sea turtles is that they are very sensitive to temperatures of okay. sand. Yes, they so are. So if you put the wrong color of sand up there on the beach, you change the uh, entire population darker of the sand, sea turtles. Darker more heat, more males. Yes. I yeah. so the, it's it, serious. It we is. We have and to take this into account. The, uh, the level of scrutiny that goes into sand sourcing for beach restoration project, because I know my friends at the Fish and Wildlife Service and National Marine Fisheries, in addition to all the environmental groups, uh, pay close attention to this, and it will be a topic of some discussion. I'm sure you're That's prepared right. to have Absolutely. that Absolutely. <laughs> so it's a federal study. Yeah. It's using taxpayer money. Uh, so we are mandated by law to do an environmental impact statement. Um, we have initiated that, and we have what a kind of a proactive manner, have set up an interagency meeting every month to meet with the Fish and Wildlife Service, to meet mm -hmm. with Texas Parks and Wildlife, to meet with NOAA and NIMPS, yep. and to basically work with them hand in hand yep. to come up with the plan. So come that, on board, boys. Let's talk yes. about it. I'm boys and girls, I'll say, <laughs> uh, these days. But I want to uh, uh, toss in one thing. Uh, you put together a two-hour panel that was sort of the, the afternoon, the dense afternoon discussion was really focused on the... I called it the meat. <laughs> the meat of the meeting yeah, was the was, Coastal was Protection great. and Restoration no, Project. No disrespect to the other no, great presentations. Uh, they were all good, but this is really what I think people came to hear about. And uh, Tony Williams from the General Land Office uh, was part of the presentation, uh, did a great job in laying out the state's uh, non-federal sponsor role. Uh, there's a lot of money here that the state's going to have to come up with, both in the planning process and in the implementation later. Uh, Brian Harper, who I was very happy to hear from. I thought Brian Harper, who's the planning chief for the, okay, I'm going to get this right, RPEC, the regional, give, help me out here. Planning Kelly. and Environmental Center for it, the Southwest Division of the Army Corps. Which means, y'all, that he is the planning director over four core districts. Four different core districts, That's yes. And he's, so he's a big shot, let's Tulsa, just say that. Tulsa, Little Rock, Fort Worth, and Galveston. And a great speaker, by the way, and I think did an incredibly good job of pulling together this very complex topic. I think he did a great job. He's the brain. Uh, Mike Diaz, your lead engineer on the study. One of the lead engineers. The, well, yeah, yeah. Can I don't want to hold leave it. I know it's a 120-member team. Yes. So, And uh, the colonel also weighed in. And uh, so it was a very wide-ranging discussion. And, and one more person, which was Tim Nelson. And Tim Nelson. He's our real estate um, uh, branch okay. chief. Yeah. So really just a chance for, you know, a packed room a lot of a lot of engineers in there oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know so we always enjoy hearing from them and it was a really important i thought an important and i think the most complete presentation i've heard of this project and i've heard kelly turpeck i mean uh, 
Sharon, Sharon, Sharon do, do, uh, do this presentation on the sort of the lighter side of it many times, but this was the most detailed and, and informed presentation I've heard on the project. I really appreciated it. Well, I'm delighted. It means we're actually getting the point across. There right. are a lot of myths about this study um, out there. The idea that we are going to build something that causes um, worse uh, drainage problems in Galveston is a myth. Um, we're not allowed to do that. Um, Tony's Tony's discussion, his slides talked about a lot of the myths that are out there and, and that yeah. we are uh, in the process of taking in comments from the public at large, but also agencies and trying to restructure not only the plan, but the messaging so yeah. that that gets across. I want to, uh, I want to kind of uh, follow up on that. So um, we've been following this project for a long time have you yes okay we, i mean of course we have it's <laughs> it's very interesting that's what and we do at custody yeah that's today. what we do we follow that. these projects and um i understand for very good reason that when when you guys are working internally you're planning you can't just transparency becomes an issue because people will freak out and you have yes. you have there's a time when you have to unveil things and um, I know that there's, uh, like Peter said, we're in the first quarter. There's a lot to go. But I'm going to ask you a really, um, because you guys keep your cards deliberately and rightfully so close to the chest a lot of the time. And then you say, here's my hand. And the public will see and you say, okay, we make some adjustments and we go back to work and then you show it again. Right. But I want you to show me one card. And the card that I'm wanting to know is what is the greatest threat to this project as you see it. You've done all this work. You guys have done, you're so deliberate about making sure that you're prepared. This planning process, like you said, is is so much larger than the normal core project process. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I wanna know, like what is the, what is the greatest threat to this project? I can think of about five, so okay. I'll have to think about this harder. Um, the first threat, the first imminent threat, is that we have a cost share sponsor for the study, but we do not have a cost share sponsor to go into design and construction. And if we do not get a cost share sponsor, it stops. Okay. It absolutely will stop. No matter how much interest the federal government has in it, we cannot move forward without someone who is willing to partner with us. So that's one imminent threat. A second imminent threat is almost um, out of my hands, which is, uh, a storm if we are hit and it's not an if it's when right. the next storm comes um we we might not have it built yet and that that's a concern that's a big concern it will force us to move much faster it will it could actually be something that pushes us into construction much faster but it's out there on the event horizon um the third kind of existential threat is Congress. Yeah. We have mm -hmm. to get our own funding yeah. in order. And um, what we're looking at is a 23 to $32 billion expense. And the operating budget for the Army Corps is five to six billion. So we're asking for six wow. times what the Corps gets in a year. That's annually, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we already recognize that that's an impossibility it's just not going As a, to happen, yeah one time right it's not a it's a multi-year process yeah. yeah so we are trying to be strategic and think about what we could build in uh, kind of segments what would provide the most uh, risk reduction immediately the ecosystem restoration features could be built 
independently um, if we could just get a little bit of money and the cost share sponsor doesn't have to be the same cost share sponsor for each of those pieces so those are out there as threats the other kind of the fifth threat is myths or fake news or you know people uh are are afraid when they hear that there is a line being drawn um across their communities it's terrifying to them and i I think that that's a myth that we need to debunk immediately the line that we've got out there in the tentatively selected plan report is a placeholder it is uh the determination in this report was whether to do a barrier up near houston or to build a barrier down here Um, now that we have done the economic analysis and the environmental impact analysis and we have decided to look more closely at a line down here the very first thing we did was with um, you know help from the agencies but also from the public is to go into a phase called optimization where we move the line so that it best meets the needs of the community we still do risk reduction but the you know we are looking at changing the context of the barrier itself to a kind of beach and dune system along the front of the islands that is more inclusive keeps people inside the barrier um, instead of outside it doesn't require condemnations that's the kind of things that really scared people this is a very smart move kelly i have to say that the course thinking in that direction i think would be well received by communities along the coast it's it's got a lot of benefits and I think in execution wise it's got some advantages cost I mean uh, you know I don't know I think I I, I particularly and this is a a personal tag but I do think that's a great direction to go and I hope that's how it plays out I do too I think um, Brian Harper mentioned though that mm-hmm. by moving to the front and changing the type of barrier from uh, gray infrastructure to some kind of greener infrastructure, this beach and dune concept, we assume some more risk. Yeah, um, such a great it's point. Effective. And I, let me just stop and help on that because I think in working on coastal restoration planning and uh, in, and in erosion response over the years, this is something that's so important for the public to get, which is. There is no point at which we are talking about a zero risk to property on the coast of America in any, I don't care how many billions you're spending, whether it's New York City or whether it's up in New Jersey or out on the West Coast. These uh, these are powerful forces out there in the world. We try to contend with them as best we can. Uh, when you choose the options of response, you, uh, you can adjust in certain ways, the risk Correct. level you're taking. And uh, boy, if we if we wanted to go to zero risk, we could probably you know spend build a forty foot tall concrete barrier that would be the citadel of the world. But who the hell wants to live anywhere near that? No Nobody. One. So that's no not one. what we're doing. <laughs> that's not a good idea. Yeah. Let's talk about beaches and dunes, which gives us recreational space and all kinds of stuff. Really great. But uh, on the five uh, challenges, uh, threats to the project, and I think you mentioned. Uh, having a partner for the construction process and the maintenance afterward. This was a number that jumped at me and I wrote it down in my notes. The annual potential maintenance cost and operation cost of this project is $130 million. So this is a big deal. And, 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 and so when people think this is a done deal, there is nothing about something of this magnitude that is a done deal. There's a lot of discussion to go and a lot of players to bring to the table. And I think that's a, 
big challenge for the totally. court. It's a big commitment. <laughs> well, so what we've done so far is um, partnered with Texas GLO, so that's the general land office, to do the study. They are, um, they are, you know, a state agency that is mandated by the state Congress. And so the legislature met um, this year. They meet every other year. Yes, um, buying them here. Yeah. So by the time we get to the end of the study phase where we have a report in hand, that's just about the time when the state, Texas state legislature will open. Yeah. And so we need to get um, a bill out there for them to vote on uh, to join us in design and construction of this feature. Yeah. Um, they may do it as a single entity, but there are opportunities for private partnerships with um, Mm -hmm. the Texas GLO for other local communities to join in. The ecosystem restoration alone has to have cost share sponsoring. And so um, they're probably going to be beating the bushes soon um, to talk to people about this. But you're right. It's a big, it's a lot of big features. All the ecosystem restoration also has to be maintained into perpetuity and there's a cost. So the estimated cost is 100 to 130 million. Man. Well, Dr. Kelly Burks Copes, the project manager for the Army Corps of Engineers Coastal Protection and Restoration Project, which covers the entire Gulf uh, of Mexico shoreline of the great state of Texas. Uh, what a privilege to have you on uh, the American Shoreline podcast today. And uh, we would love to have the Corps folks back on periodically to talk about this massive project and uh, we really, it's the highest it's the highest I think it's the biggest thing that's ever happened on the Texas coast and I think we should talk about it whenever you feel like it's the right time well have me back whenever you need it